Hello everyone and welcome back to the Spin Podcast. My name is Valentina Gritti and I'm the podcast host and the global community and project manager of the Slow Food Youth Network. Today, Slow Food is launching the On My Plate Challenge, a six-week-long challenge in which we can all act collectively for a better food system. If you haven't signed up for the challenge yet, you can do it on the website onmyplate.slowfood.com. This episode is the first one dedicated to the challenge and there will be three episodes in total. The episodes will be focused on the principles of slow food, so good, clean and fair. Today we kick off with the first one, so we will talk about good food with three special hosts from South Africa, Azerbaijan and Colombia. Let's meet our guests. Arnold Tanzer is the head of the Cooks Alliance in South Africa. The Slow Food Cooks Alliance is a network of cooks defending food biodiversity across the world. Arnold is based in Johannesburg. During the pandemic, he has started a project called Chefs with Compassion, with the goal of fighting food waste and supporting people in need. The second guest is Yagub Zainazad. Yagub is the spokesperson for the community youth network Food for Change Baku in Azerbaijan. The young activists together are raising awareness about healthy nutrition, preserving local food and biodiversity. Yagub is also working with Sofur International on the EU-founded project Community-Based Value Chain Enhancement in the Greater Caucasus Mountains area. Its goal is to preserve and enhance the unique plants, animal species, national cuisine and ecosystems inherent to a particular rural area of Azerbaijan. Yagub is a chef as a profession. He studied at the Culinary Institute in Croatia and at Alma, La Scuola Internazionale di Cucina Italiana in Italy. The third guest is Silvia Inesa Costa Ocampo. Silvia is part of the slow food community Wambid Mingeros dell'Alimento. She is now retired, but previously she was working for SENA, the National Training Service in Colombia. She carried out an amazing investigation related to the culinary traditions along the Pacific coast of Colombia, and she also participating in writing the book El Festin. This book is a collection of recipes of women from the black communities in the Pacific. So we're going to talk about food waste, about the role of youth in preserving culinary traditions and finally about the role of women in keeping such traditions alive. But since we're talking about good food, let's start our interviews with a simple question. What is an important dish for you and why? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting question because um, what's really a, a, an important dish for me has evolved as I've grown older. You know, when, when I started off as a chef, um, the food would have been, what was important to me would have probably been something that was, you know, uh, three Mission star, um, you know, fine dining. But as I'm getting older uh, and, you know, I, I had a family, my, my, my children are now uh, young adults, but uh, what's becoming more important to me are, are the food from my youth, <clears throat> what I got um, fed at home. So, you know, um, amongst my favorite foods are foods that my granny cooked or my mother uh, and father cooked for me. Those have become for me really uh, important foods because it kind of represents the journey you take as a chef, but it's also heritage that you need to keep. I was born in Holland to um, a, a Dutch uh, a mother and Austrian father, and I live in South Africa, so my food journey 
is varied. But if I if I go back to you, if, you know, and I always try to equate it. If you woke me up at three o'clock in the morning and said, "What do you want to eat right now?" Um, then I've got to go down to the dish. Also, that I always used to ask when I was a kid. When I was a kid and it was your birthday, you could always choose what you wanted to eat for dinner. And it's a very, very simple dish of uh, meatballs done in a meaty broth, not a tomato broth, just in, in the jus from the, from, from the meatballs, boiled potatoes and fresh spinach. And it's still, it's still, it's nothing, you know, for most people listening to this, they're probably going to think, oh, well, that's crazy. But it just represents for me just really beautiful boiled new potatoes uh, and, and a, a nice juicy meatball and, 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 and just that earthiness of, 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 of simple sautéed spinach with a bit of nutmeg, I'm happy, you know, um, and a little, a little jus um, over the top, and then that's it. And that is probably one of my favorite things to eat. Uh, we have the food called turmaik. This is, it's made uh, with a fresh um, flatbread and uh, with fresh tomatoes and with cheese. Um, also, we add, sometimes we add uh, basil. It's like a caprese salad uh, rolled in the flatbread. And the harmony of this simple three ingredients is is the best for me. Uh, but a little problem that um, is being faced in such um, simple dishes is that the ingredients. Uh, even though traditional recipes uh, belonging to Azerbaijani cuisine is well-preserved, However, the ingredients, local ingredients, are not well preserved. And um, using uh, export, I mean imported products, is not considered as a wrong thing uh, in the culinary shows, in the culinary masterclasses, and in culinary in general. So this is a very um, blind part that I've noticed. Pues me gustan muchos. I like many of them. For example, the encocado de piangua. It's called encocado because it's made with coconut, and the piangua is a seashell. The encocado de piangua is something delicious, you can't imagine. You eat it with the corn rice, which is not rice, but it's actually the corn grains. But they call it rice anyway. Also, the encocado de camarones, the coconut soup with shrimps, is delicious. These are my favorite dishes, together with our sancocho. You know, we Colombians are people who love soups. And sancocho is a soup you can find in the whole country with its variations. You need a lot of ingredients to prepare it. First, you start by boiling water. Then you add potatoes and yucca, and you can accompany it with either fish or meat. You have to let it cook for quite some time. Before adding, for example, the chicken, you have to first marinate it in herbs, such as coriander and long coriander. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get hungry. Let's now go and meet Chef Arnold Tanzer in Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, what was the cause or actually the need to create Chefs with Compassion? 
Yeah, Valentina, we, we, uh, when South Africa went into lockdown uh, in March 2020, um, we went into a uh, immediate lockdown. The country closed, businesses closed, and across the whole country. Um, and it was initially for three weeks um, that it was only essential services that were allowed to work. So all the shops were closed unless it was a food shop. Uh, you know, you we had a curfew, so you couldn't go out. Um, you couldn't go and walk the dog. Um, it was a complete lockdown for three weeks. Um, and uh, what we noticed then is, uh, is of course, that um, a lot of people um, were without a job immediately. People who, who um, you know, don't have a full-time job or are contract workers. Um, South Africa. Um, as it stands, um, has a issue with um, people going to bed hungry in normal economic times. Um, and so a group of chefs uh, got together and said, okay, well, my business is closed for what was then initially three weeks, but I've got all this food that is otherwise going to go to waste. Let's convert that into meals and find charities who can then hand that food out. Um, and of course, from that initial three weeks, um, uh, it has spun out into, into now, we are still busy with it and, and, and it will probably carry on for much longer. Because from initially just having food that was donated from hotels and restaurants who were closed uh, for a set period of time, uh, we then realized that there is this enormous, enormous problem of food being wasted at the big food, uh, fresh food markets. Because the farmers had obviously produced everything and it was time to harvest it but there was no one to pick up in that volume because all the hotels were closed, all the restaurants were closed, um, the hospitals were only um, open for um, COVID patients and emergency, the mines were closed. Uh, in fact, anywhere where you would have large amounts of people coming to eat. So there were, there were tons and tons of fruit and vegetables that were basically not being bought, which normally would have been bought, and therefore, um, were either going to go to the landfill site or were going to go and be incinerated. Um, and so we um, once again found wonderful people who helped us to what we call rescue that food. And from, from that action, we then realized that there is such an enormous waste of food that gets thrown away for whatever reason um, that um, we formed th this um, um, NGO and uh, using chefs to, to cook the rescued food into nutritionist me uh, meals for those that are vulnerable in it. And, uh, and to date, we've done 1.5 million meals since April last year. Oh, wow. Um, that, uh, that's, uh, you know, and, and the need carries on. So... Uh, you know, it's highlighted for me personally is I always knew there was food waste, but I didn't realize to what extent um, food is wasted and, and where a lot of the food wastage actually occurs. Because um, I guess for most for most people who are, you know, middle class and healthy and that the, there's a, a fair amount of food wastage in your fridge at home, but then only in South Africa is only about 5% of the food wastage. The biggest issue with food wastage is actually on a production level, like the farm level, and getting it from the farm to the markets um, and sold at the markets. In South Africa, that's where 50% of our food wastage occurs. 
because, you know, fruit will get rejected because it's not perfect or the carrots aren't 100% straight or for whatever reason. Um, and then secondly to that, there is the people that produce the food secondary. So you have to think of food producers that make, say, noodles or, uh, you know, packaged rice or whatever, that, that group of companies, because um, they work with best buy and expiry dates. Um, then at a certain point, that food, um, um, while it's still perfectly good to eat, has reached expire, its, its um, best buy date and therefore gets um, incinerated or thrown away. Um, whereas, you know, you could do a microbiology test and, say, and, and extend it by another month and make sure that it is still safe and then can still be used by people. Um, and then, obviously, on the retail sector, in the supermarkets that we've become used to in big cities, uh, you know, um, with how food is being packaged, so it is not... Um, just uh, four lamb chops, but it's five, um, and, the, and, the, and the odd numbers, and how much they put in a packet, um, so that you're kind of always forced to buy two packets of anything that's fresh, you know, if you uh, in a family. Um, and obviously, how they stock their shelves, the retail markets. So in other words, there's always strawberries re around, um, and they may not be the greatest strawberries that are around, but they're there. Uh, and how they buy in, and how much, because the shelves must always look full, otherwise, consumers won't buy and therefore you have a lot of waste from them so um and that's how, how how we start oh wow and that sounds amazing and i don't know if you've ever heard of our initiative of world discussive day yes yeah it's this uh, worldwide initiative that we have every year to fight food waste and we try to gather fruits and vegetables that would have been uh, thrown away for the same reasons that you mentioned. And we organize events, which we call Disco Soup, uh, all together uh, with these uh, ingredients. And we make soups and other delicious meals that we then offer to people. And it would be great to have you on board for World Disco Soup Day 2021. Yes, we'd love to. Shares with Compassion certainly would love to. And I, I do know that um, um, in Cape Town, the, uh, the soup disco is very, very strong in, that, in, in the community, in the youth community. And how do you promote good food in your community with the Chef Alliance network, with the Chefs with Compassion and also as an individual? Yes, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, how, how I go about promoting it, is obviously it starts within my own home and with my own business. You can't, you know, you can't preach from the from the pulpit if you're not actually living it. So, so we, um, I, I, in my house, uh, in, and it's in the middle of the suburb in Johannesburg. I have a vegetable garden. I have um, two honey hives up on my on my roof, on my flat roof, which we will be uh, harvest honey from and. Uh, we promote within the um, my, my greater suburb as my, my neighbours, as, as, as it were, to to everybody to get involved. Um, and in my business, obviously, we we try predominantly. One of the big things that we found is to buy from smaller suppliers: your local green grocer, your local butcher, your um, you know the local cheesemaker, instead of buying from really big uh, food service um, suppliers. Um, and obviously it doesn't work for everything, but it certainly works for most of the things, the fresh fruit and vegetables, we can uh, make a difference by supporting them. Because if you support the smaller local butcher instead of the, the very big factory butcher, 
you know, A, you can get the cut, but you can also um, be supporting a, a little family business that then supports more people, it makes it more sustainable. But I found as a chef, it means that I have a better rapport um, in terms of what I'm looking for. Uh, and, uh, you know, championing change of whole animal use uh, and uh, uh, breeds that are going out of, out of fashion. So as a chef, your responsibility is, you know, if you're a good chef, it's not just about how you cook your ingredients, but where your ingredients come. And then finally, you know, with Chefs with Compassion, what our, our main aim is, is to use up everything that we can get our hands on. So if you look at the fruit and vegetables that we get in from the fresh uh, food market, um, many times there's, you know, maybe 15% of that vegetable is not um, fit for human consumption. We don't just throw that away or incinerate it. We have um, pig farmers uh, in the communities that come and collect that, and therefore that product is then used as animal feed to then enable that pig farmer to, to also earn a living. So we're not throwing stuff away. You know, we're really trying on this zero, zero waste. And the lessons that we've learned um, from um, as chefs and the guys that have been involved in it is that you know you really 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 have to get creative with how you think about your food and at the same time so ensure that the food that we are delivering to the needy and the vulnerable at the end of the day is nutritious so it's not just like okay, well we're banging out tons and tons of soup you know, if it is a soup, is it balanced? Has it got protein in? Can we add things like legumes in to increase the protein value if we haven't got, uh, uh, you know, any animal product to put into that soup? Has it got the right viscosity? Um, can we, you know, channel um, some help from the local sourdough baker to get some bread to go with it and not just, uh, you know, the standard white bread that's factory produced? So we think carefully about how we do it. What do we do when we get a donation of... Uh, two tons of mayonnaise from one of the big suppliers. Uh, okay, you know, well, how, how can we incorporate it? Okay, well, it's basically an oil with a little bit of a protein in it. So, you know, in terms of baking, let's make a, a really nutritious um, filled with vegetable um, savoury muffin. Is that, you know what I'm saying? And instead of adding other butters, let's use that, that in for, as your fat component. So it is um, uh, the thought behind... Um, the Chefs with Compassion is it's not just about cooking food. It's about cooking nutritious food, cooking what, you know, what is good food. How do we use as much as we can to make um, for that vulnerable person at the end of the line waiting for their food, um, make it good for them? Um, you know, they're not choosing to be in that line. Um, you know, it is the circumstance of life that has put that person in that line with their hands out for food. So if we're going to do it, let's just make sure that what we do um, has the dignity of that person in mind. And uh, um, that that fo follows through as a chef in terms of just producing good. Um, the Chefs Alliance is one of the founding members of, 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 of this organization. And um, so not all chefs can cook because our our methodology at the moment is we rescue the food, we take it to a big warehouse, which we call our share house, and then the chefs come and collect food from, from, from the share house, whatever we've, we've managed to collect. They take it back into their restaurant or into their hotel or into wherever they're based, and they cook food um, 
for 200 people, for 1,500 people, you know, it differs with every chef and, and, and what they can do because all those chefs obviously have to add. So it also it comes out, out of their pockets. Um, so, yeah, so the Chef's Alliance chefs are, are, are very, very much involved. Our alliance is, um, I guess, a little bit more looser than um, in, in European um, countries. Um, you know, at any one time, uh, we have... 25, 30 chefs who, who are involved in the alliance, who um, have had restaurants. Obviously, due, due to COVID, we have lost a lot of guys who and, 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 and ladies whose restaurants are closed, who economically had to shut their, 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 their restaurants. So our, our founding principle in terms of the Chefs with Compassion is uh, that we are on the good and the nutritious food. Um, and if you as a, as a chef, whether you belong to the Alliance or not, because we, we also one of the other founders are the, uh, the, the Chefs Association of South Africa and not all members, there's 7,000 members there, you know, they're not all following the Chefs Alliance, but our, our word is getting through there, uh, both through this project and, and the other projects that we have done to get more chefs to think carefully about how um, and what they serve to the public. Um, but our main objective with this project, uh, Chefs of Compassion, is just to show that compassion and to feed people as much as we can from the food that we've rescued. Thank you, Arnold, for the interesting interview. And let's get in touch for World Discuss Update 2021. And now let's move all the way to the north and to the east. And let's have a talk with Yagub in Azerbaijan. And Yagub, have you noticed the loss of biodiversity in Azerbaijan and also the loss of traditional food? Growing up in a village, um, I used to experience uh, some food-related cultures from my childhood. And when we used to visit uh, my grandma in the village and stay there for, for a summertime period, uh, we used to uh, bring some tools, uh, some um, city products, what we used to call them, uh, to our um, farmer and villager uh, neighbors. And they used to give us in exchange uh, uh, food products, tomatoes, and the products that they grow and then they uh, produce. But as years passed, um, these traditions disappeared due to farmers moving to the cities, to abroad. And these years, when we go to the village, uh, the villagers ask from us to buy some food products for them. And this was the moment when I realized that uh, all these traditions has disappeared. We used to uh, we used to wait for the animals to come from the Sarat. This is a common pasture type, and we used to greet animals, the the, the huge crowd of animals, and then select the ones that are belong to our uh, farm, and then. So on, and also we used to wait for the tandoor bread queues, uh, milk queues, and so on. And now, when I go to the village, I realize that all these traditions are disappearing. So this was a waking moment when I realized that okay, these traditions are disappearing, and I was trying to search what is the what is the problem that is causing um, this type of uh, experiences disappear. 
And this period uh, was also the period when I get to know uh, more about slow food and I had the opportunity to work with the slow food and which boosted um, this research and this uh, uh, activity in order to, and then I started to acting actually to preserve somehow this uh, loss of these local traditions and food products. And did you register any of these products as an Arc of Taste product? The Arc of Taste is a slow food project which consists in a catalogue of small-scale quality productions that belong to the cultures, history and traditions of the entire planet. Uh, yes, yes. Um, as I mentioned before, we have this uh, youth network um, community. Together with the young activists, we registered around 100 products also not only us uh, together with the help of chefs and some farmers and some old members of society we registered uh, around 100 products into arc of taste and when we started uh, in the international arc of taste there were six products that were uh, repre- that that were being promoted and that were being highlighted that they are disappearing in the Arc of Taste catalog. Right now, uh, there are 20, 28 products that were selected. So 20, um, 22 products were added after this initiative. And I think the process is still being um, processed and experts are still choosing among those nominations. And it's still ongoing and we are still searching. So, and getting back to what you were saying before, that you noticed this loss of uh, traditional foods and you were looking for uh, the cause, the reason that brought to that. And my question is, did you actually manage to find out why it was happening like that? Yes, actually, um, Slow Food have stated many of these problems. Um, The main problem is in the industrial approach to the food. And uh, like considering the local problems that we have uh, here is um, is the common uh, trend of uh, choosing professions. And in rural areas, the most popular professions that parents are guiding their uh, kids is being lawyer, doctors, and so on and so on. And this type of professions are important. However, they are not um, productive uh, professions in order when it comes to the food when it comes to the main um, supply for the human being. And this leads to youth moving away from the village and the population of youth in the rural areas. And this causes, uh, this creates a big gap in the food supply. And in order to fill this food supply, industri- industrial uh, farms, industrial factories, they produce uh, food not respecting local traditions and so on. This is why the use uh, involvement in agriculture in rural development is very important and this is what is actually lacking. There are also other aspects such as um, passing the traditions to younger members because um, if the youth will not uh, learn and master these uh, traditions, these methods, then they will also disappear. And that's another aspect of uh, um, for, in order to highlight the role of youth in preservation of biodiversity. And uh, which activities do you carry out with your local Slow Food Youth Network in order to involve more youth in agriculture and also in the food system in general? Our activities were more focused on the uh, on the technical part, on the research um, 
finding local traditional foods and nominating them and researching about them and uh, uh, promoting the healthy uh, food choices and so on and so on. But uh, now I'm realizing that there is a there is a huge need for another use community um, in in the regions. And in order to master these uh, these traditions, uh, start social uh, businesses that are related with this uh, food product because I think uh, social businesses play important role. Um, otherwise, it it is very hard uh, to attract use uh, nowadays uh, in such uh, preservation of such heritage because use is powerful. They're energetic and they wanna mainly they wanna study, they wanna um, improve themselves, and they seek opportunities and so on. And I realized that uh, the, the the most interesting way is to start social uh, food related businesses in the regions. And this is what is trending right now and what will involve uh, use more in the agriculture and in preservation of these varieties. And can you give me an example of such activities? For example, I can mention about um, activity of, of what we are doing right now in order to promote local heritage. Um, we are uh, traveling to the regions as much as we can. We are creating a video content where we are... Um, researching first with local chefs, with local farmers, with local grandmas. Most importantly, they are the uh, more knowledgeable people that know um, in this field. And after the research, we are creating video content um, where we are highlighting these local traditions uh, through a travel, through a fun um, video content. And this way, we are trying to highlight the importance of such ingredients, of such food. And then next step for this uh, initiative uh, will be, this is what we are planning. And I have noticed and met with some other enthusiasts. Unfortunately, not all of them are young, but they are also working on it, is to um, produce small productions and rebranding of local and traditional products. And where are you going to publish the videos? Uh, our videos will be published in YouTube. We will have a YouTube channel and... Right now, we are trying to have a database of the videos in order to start plant. And, that, and that is, that's why we haven't published yet our videos. But as soon as it will be available, uh, it, will, it will not be uh, in any language. It will be only uh, without voice content. So it will be open for everyone and everyone can see and, and um, how the food is produced, how it's made. Oh, sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. And Iago, one last question, uh, because you talked about the fact that young people are not really interested in agriculture and so on, and you're trying to do more and more activities to involve them. But are actually young people interested in good food in Azerbaijan? Uh, a very good question. Um, I realized that uh, this is a big problem nowadays. Because majority of youth um, are not seeking for good, clean, and fair food, uh, because they are not um, they are not aware of the biodiversity problems, environmental problems. Activists like the active youth, they are for sure they are involved, especially people who choose um, to be vegetarian or vegan. I realize that majority of these uh, people who are following this type of diets are more sensitive and more um, and more responsi responsible in such uh, good and 
clean and fair food promotion. But considering the majority, unfortunately, uh, not the, not all the majority is uh, aware about this. Um, I would just uh, call all the youth network, all the members, in order to to collaborate, to form more communities, to be more active in the preservation of local um, traditions and food varieties because these uh, initiatives have story and story is important. You are right, Yagub. We all have to be active as youth. And I think that people that join the challenge are already going towards the right direction. It's now time for the last interview, for which we will travel to the Pacific coast of Colombia, where Celia is waiting for us. What was the reason that brought you to join the investigation and the writing of the book El Festin? Did you see a particular problem you wanted to tackle? While I was working at Sena, we started to look at traditional cuisines as a phenomenon at risk of extinction in our country. Why? Because due to the liberal open economy, they started to invade us with foreign products. Some of them are very tasty, but others not at all. But they completely displaced our cuisine. I was very interested in this topic, so we started to investigate this phenomenon in the region where we were, and to get in touch with the women that were still cooking traditional food. We found them in the food galleries at the markets in the small towns. We live on the Pacific coast of Colombia, which is divided into four regions, Valle del Cauca, Cauca, Nariño and Choco. These regions have a huge natural and cultural richness. So we started to get in touch with a community in its territory and we started to work with them. We were carrying out what we call conservatorios, so dialogues together in which they told us about their cuisines, their products, what they were growing and how they would prepare it. Together with them, We did mingas culinarias. We went to the kitchen with them so that they could teach us how to prepare their dishes. Fortunately, we had some financial help that allowed us to pay for the ingredients for the food that they were preparing. This was super nice because it allowed us to get closer to this traditional cuisine, which before was for me something far away. I used to eat at restaurants, at malls, I was far away. The women that are our traditional cooks are very simple. They are women that went through many difficulties. In their childhood, they had to fight for survival. They had to learn how to cook to be part of the resistance and also for daily survival. It's with this mentality and with their cuisine that they raise their children. When we got to know their cuisine, they talked to us also about their native seeds, because without seeds there is no cooking. 
So we realized that we had to go to the fields because cooking begins on the field. Our native seeds were also at risk of extinction because we had been flooded by transgenic seeds. And at the markets, they were selling us a lot of chemicals and products that were supposed to help us cultivate better. So with these women, we discovered the world of the fields of ecology and we were amazed by the fact that despite the huge loss, there you could still find native seeds surviving. So we went on meeting with different farming communities, indigenous communities and black communities. These are the people that are really preserving traditional and ancestral knowledge, which is what allows us to protect the earth, protect ourselves and protect all the different species. So this is how we started and now we are going on with this work and we want to go on for the rest of our lives. It's quite hard because the government support is equal to zero because people think it's something out of normality, even if some youth are approaching this lifestyle more and more. And this brought us to what we have today, which is called Wambit. Wambit is a school of knowledge dedicated to youth, dealing with traditional cuisine, native seeds, clean agriculture, and even ancestral ways of knitting with a typical herb called fique, with which, for example, we produce bags. So we learn how to live in a simple and natural way with the goal of protecting life. What is the role of women in promoting good food along the Pacific coast? This is a key question because women in our Latin context play a very important role in taking care of the seeds, of the cooking and of the children. This is an essential part of their lives, as if their essential duty is to protect their families starting from the cooking, from the food. By means of food, they provide love, they provide education. By means of food, they create the sense of family and of community. This is an ancestral setting. It is part of a group of skills that are deeply rooted in indigenous and farming communities. Okay, so you are talking about indigenous communities, black communities, farming communities. Would you say that food is for them a way to define their cultural identity? Yes, for the black communities, food is very important, as well as for the peasant communities. The moment of eating at these communities allows things that in the city get lost. For example, it allows to get together as a family. When it's the moment of lunch, the whole family sits together to eat. It's a fundamental moment in which we discuss, we meet, and we can bring up problems that are affecting us or that we need to clarify, maybe some difficulties we are facing while living together or during the work at the farm. So, the solutions to these problems are found around the fire of the stoves, because there is always a fire, and by means of food. The book El Festin is a collection of recipes of women of the black communities in the Pacific. Have you noticed any common ingredient, herb or way of preparation among these recipes? Yes, something that is very common in the cuisine of the Pacific is the use of coconut in the form of milk. 
So they peel the coconut, they scratch it with warm water, they macerate it and they extract the milk, the coconut milk. With this milk, they prepare the seafood, the fish and the meat. They also use the herbs called azotea, which are typical herbs of the Pacific. Oregano, Pennyroyal, black basil, and the long coriander, which they call chihuahua. These are four herbs that are used in all food preparations. To these herbs, they add annatto oil and they stir fry them. They also add a sweet chili pepper. They call it sweet because it's not hot. It's found along the Pacific coast and it substitutes the tomato or the bell pepper. So you stir fry the herbs and the sweet chili and then you add the coconut milk. In this milk, you then cook the seafood, the shrimps. Mm -hmm. it, this is so tasty, it's delicious. So this is the common denominator in the cuisine of the women of the Pacific. And another common thing is that they sing a lot while cooking. For this reason, we call the book Festin, which means little party because cooking turns into a party. They sing traditional music called Kurulao. Decimas and they dance and invite everyone to dance with them. Or sometimes they discuss what is going on or what they want. As I told you, cooking with them turns into a whole celebration. And when it comes to fishing, is it something women do or is it rather a man's activity? Fishing is for the men, even if sometimes also women fish. Something interesting there is that men also cook. They don't really like it, but if there is no one to cook, they can also do it. The fishing indeed is for them. They wake up very early and at 3 a.m. they are already sailing at the sea. Then they get back with the fish. They leave some for the daily cooking and the rest they sell it, they trade it. When women fish, they usually go to closer places like the rivers. They also harvest the piangua. The piangua is a shellfish that is found between the mangroves at the seashore. It's delicious and very difficult to fish. I would say it's even risky because they do it by hand without any tools. They go to the mangroves when the tide is low and they put their hands into the mud that is left from the low tide. The shells stay trapped into the roots of the mangroves, so there is where the women put their hands. But there you can also find a fish that they call pescado de sapa, which has a very large and thick thorn. So they risk that the fish stings their hands. Thank you, Celia, for this super interesting interview. I can really see the image of these women picking up the shelves and cooking together while singing and dancing. It's so cool. And now, before ending the episode, I would like to ask our guest to do a last round and answer this final key question. What is good food for you in your context? Well, good food to me is probably what I what I would now say is honest food, food food that that that, that is true to itself. And I think you know, for most for most chefs like myself, the journey of of food um, 
is inspired by, by, by something in your youth. That's why you become a chef. Um, and, and that's why you like, like cooking. You know, for me, what is good is food that, that reflects to what it is. And I think a lot of, of, of heritage food culture has that. Good food is food that, it, that is true to the ingredients that make up the whole and that, that isn't being played with too much. Um, you know, in South Africa, we have a big thing called braai, which is like a barbecue. Um, and uh, at its essence, it's really simple. Uh, a piece of meat that's grilled over coals um, that then just transform that product into, into something that's charred and smoky and delicious. And you don't need to smother it with sauces and sweetness and things like that. It's just a really good piece of meat, um, which you then can serve with some really simple sides. That, to me, is good food. Um, and if chefs um, and, um, and cooks and people at home um, cook that kind of food, then you are being true to the ingredients and the effort that's gone into producing that food. And, of course, you take that a step back um, to the, the people who produce the food. Then, um, you know, how are they producing that food? Are they... Uh, you know, is the farm biodiverse? Are they using bio, biodiversity within their uh, within their structure? How are the animals are being looked after? Because um, all of that has a knock-on effect onto how the ingredient tastes and what the ingredient uh, then allows us to transform into a plate of good food. Since I'm a chef as a profession, I like simple flavors, and the harmony of flavors is very important. Oh, this is a very good question, because today I changed my opinion regarding the meaning of good food. If you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have answered something else. But today I can tell you that good food is what comes directly from the field, grown without using chemicals, from small-scale farmers, because I don't like agribusiness. So, good food is made with these products and as fresh as possible. This series of the podcast is organized on the occasion of Terra Madre 2020, the biggest event that the slow food movement organizes every two years. It involves food, communities and activists from all over the world. This edition, due to the global pandemic, will have a big digital part and you can find the whole program on terramadresalonedelgusto.com. The link is on the podcast description. So please visit the website of Terra Madre. Also, if you like this podcast and you want to support the project, and get access to extra materials, you can become one of our patrons on patreon.com slash join slash Slow Food Youth Network. This is Valentina Gritti and you are listening to the Slow Food Youth Network podcast. Ciao!